little bit more time in Revelation today. Uh, Y'all ready for a little hail, fire, brimstone? You know, ready for it to rain? Well, I'll do the best I can. Um, uh, Today's sermon is on judgment. I want to start by asking you a question. Do you remember the last time you were punished? You ever been punished for something? You ever done something you shouldn't do um, and uh, you were punished? I remember when I was growing up, I got, well, I got punished a lot whenever I was in school. Now, we're all my Gen Xers here. You know, we grew up whenever there was corporal punishment still in school. And uh, we had teachers that twirled around uh, paddles on the playground, and they patrolled like prison guards. They were predator, and we were prey. And believe me, I got a lot of licks in school. But let me tell you something. Uh, That's not the worst punishment that I ever received whenever I was in school. In fact, the greatest punishment that I ever received was probably the most memorable thing uh, that I learned whenever I was in sixth grade. Have I ever told y'all about Miss Smith? Ever told y'all about what Miss Smith taught me in sixth grade? I'm sure I've used this before, um, but it's may, maybe has been a long time. Miss Smith uh, gave me the the harshest punishment. My sixth grade teacher, the harshest punishment I've ever had, and she gave me the most memorable lesson that I can remember from school. Here it is. I will discontinue my rude behavior and excessive talking, so I will not disrupt my classmates who are attempting to learn. How many of you have ever, ever written lines? You ever had to write lines? That was, I still remember, that's been 40 years. I, I'm, I'm sorry. That's been 25 years since I was in sixth grade. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just lied in church. Um, but I still remember that. That was the worst thing. I mean, I, I would much rather have had licks because it's over in three seconds. Uh, but writing lines, that was so long. I will never forget that. Matter of fact, I'm just going to write that as an epitaph uh, on, my, on my tombstone. I'll remember that. i probably remember that as much as, as easy as I remember uh, any Bible verse. Uh, but all of us have been punished for something. I mean, there's been, uh, there's been some type of consequence or some type of punishment or some type of wrath that somebody, someplace, sometime has given you for something that you have done wrong. It's kind of a natural course of the world. But what about God's judgment? What about divine judgment, divine punishment? I find that a lot of times we don't really want to talk about that part of God. We much rather would prefer a sermon on forgiveness. We would much rather talk about a God that's just soft and just loving and caring and just only speak about God's grace, only speak about God's mercy. We like that God a lot better. Our culture definitely likes that God a lot better. Let me ask you a question. What if Miss Smith would have never punished me for anything that I did wrong. What if, she's, what if she said, you know what, you really deserve licks for this, but it's okay, just pat me on the head. It's, o- it's okay, little boy, no problem. I won't make you write lines. I won't give you licks. What would you do if a judge in our town or another town refused to prosecute criminals, refused to give sentence, judgment, wrath upon criminals um, just in the, in the name of forgiveness? No payment. Oh, it's okay, Mr. Rapist. It's okay, Mr. Murderer, Mr. Robber. We forgive you. This court forgives you. Uh, The state of Tennessee forgives you. Uh, The city of Cookville, Putnam County, we forgive you. No problem. Uh, Case dismissed. Nobody wants to live in a world like that. No, nobody, nobody would think that that would be just. And so obviously that's true about God 
as well. Now, there's, there's two extremes of Christians that we kind of have to avoid. We have to avoid being one of these two extremes whenever we start talking about uh, the wrath of God or punishment or judgment. First is, is the extreme of, oh, well, let's, we know it's true, but shh, let's don't talk about it. Don't mention hell. Don't say that to people. They might get offended. Be real careful. You don't talk about that kind of stuff. Just, just tell people about God's love. Win them over with God's love. Don't say any, anything about consequences or judgment. That, that's one extreme. The other extreme is those angry Christians. Y'all know, y'all know those angry Christians? Man, they just cannot wait to tell you about hell. Not hell, hail, all right? That's how you recognize those people. That's how, that's, that's, that's how they say it. I mean, they just can't wait to stomp and spit and shout and sweat and do the peewee hermit all over the stage and swing their coat jackets around. And I mean, they just, they just can't wait to talk about judgment and, um, and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, we need to be somewhere in the middle. We need to embrace the truth of God. We need to do it in a way that properly represents the truth of God. But I don't know about you, but I'm not pleased that there's sin. I'm not pleased that people sin. I'm not pleased that, that there is wrath coming because of sin. I'm, I'm not pleased that there's judgment or that there is a place called hell. There's nothing about that that I enjoy, nothing about that that, that, that pleases me. But, but it all is true. And so if we're really going to properly understand God's love and God's grace and God's mercy, we have to understand judgment. So here's my definition of judgment. Super simple. Uh, some of you might want something that's a little more theological. This is, uh, this is super simple. It's just divine punishment for sin is all it is. It's God punishing us, giving us a penalty. We pay a penalty for our sin. Mankind pays a penalty for sin, a penalty that is owed, a just penalty. Um, it's just divine punishment. There's a lot of people that functionally don't believe that. There's a lot of people that even though they would say, oh, yeah, there's wrath, they don't really believe that God's going to use his power uh, to punish. Well, what we're going to look at today, and I, I told you this earlier in the prayer time, we're going to look at the very first judgment that God ever gave upon mankind. It's in Genesis 3. You can go ahead and open your Bible there. Then we're going to look at the very last punishment that will ever be um, given to mankind in the book of Revelation. And friends, church, brothers and sisters, we have reason to rejoice today because Christ has been punished on our behalf. And so I really hope that this message leads to celebration in your heart. Uh, let's stand and look at Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we'll start reading in verse 24. Uh, excuse me. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. This was Adam and Eve after they sinned. We looked at that two weeks ago. They had sinned, and then here's, here's, here's the result. Here's the punishment, the wrath, the judgment that God poured out upon them, a judgment that all of us still feel and the whole creation still feels. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Circle that verse in your Bible. Put it in parenthesis. Highlight it. Very important verse. We'll come back to that. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Adam kind of gets the worst of it, or maybe you and I get the worst of it, I don't know. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. You shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Look at verse 22. The Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And the east of the garden of Eden, he, he, pl- he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Uh, God, I pray that you would help us to celebrate today that you have taken our punishment, that Jesus took our punishment. But not all of us. Lord, there's billions of people on our planet. Lord, they face the wrath of God. It's impending upon them. Possibly five billion people alive today that aren't born again. Lord, help us to celebrate what we have in Christ, but give us a passion for those that don't. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You probably noticed all of the negative words that were written in Genesis chapter 3 that we just read, uh, and also uh, earlier in the chapter that we read a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is not like that. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2 talks about goodness, and everything's perfect, and everything is just beautiful. I mean, everything is as it should be. But man, whenever we read these verses, we see a complete shift in tone. We see something radically different. We see judgment that God places upon the serpent, upon the woman, upon the man, and upon all of us. First, this judgment that came upon the serpent. Verse 14. Uh, Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like snakes. Most people don't like snakes. And I know all you people out there that talk about good snakes and all that. That's fine. But the vast majority of us don't like snakes. You might have them as pets in your house. Weirdo, go ahead. Uh, I'm teasing. Um, But, I mean, think about it. I mean, mean, so this judgment, it's, it's not just upon snakes. Um, it's really upon Satan himself, and we'll get there. It's really more prophetic of what God says that he's going to do to Satan. And it's really a pronouncement 
upon all creation. The Bible says that all creation is groaning. So there was this curse that was put upon the serpent and upon all creation and upon Satan himself. And again, we'll get there in a moment. Uh, then there was the judgment upon the woman. Uh, now these, these verses, are they're, they're a little controversial. They're highly disputed. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of this, but this pain in childbirth, we know there's a pain in childbirth, except for all of you that got the epidural. Now look, I know that some of y'all, man, y'all are having babies at home. Man, more power to you. If I was a lady, I'd be at the hospital and I'd be getting that epidural so I could avoid this right here. But those of you who, those of you who do it, man, y'all are, y'all are troopers. Um, but all of, this, all of this talk about, you know, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He'll rule over you. There's some statements about that in the New Testament. All of this is not as God wanted it initially, but is a reality in our world, one that we want to try to avoid in Christian marriage. There's, there's, there's a lot that I could be said there, but I digress for now. Uh, Adam gets the worst of it. So this first judgment upon Adam. Look what happened to him. Uh, there's, we have a lot more information about how God judged Adam. I mean, Adam, Adam was really held mainly responsible. And by the way, uh, even though it was the woman who took the fruit and gave it to her husband, the Bible says that we receive a sinful nature from our fathers. Um, our, 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 the, 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 uh, the male species is kind of held mainly responsible. Uh, so anyway, he uses that word cursed. He talks about pain. And it's interesting, he talks, talks about thorns and thorns. Thistles. Uh, this was a big reality in my life this week as I was going through the woods and I had previously, I'll, I'll spare you the details, I had previously cut a path up this hill and I needed to go back up that path, but it had been a little while. Um, and so their thorns had grown up this tall. And y'all, I have marks all over my hands, on my thighs. I mean, they really got me. Um, but if we take this at faith value, uh, there were no thorns in the original creation. It didn't happen until after sin. It's part of the curse. And I have to think this about other parts of creation as well, like gnats. I have to believe that gnats and roaches and flies and Alabama fans and all the things like that, just they didn't exist in the original creation. Uh, but there's this judgment upon Adam, the worst being, the worst being, you're going to return to ground, to the ground, you're going to return to dust, that you are going to die. And, and this is what we see uh, as uh, the, the first judgment on all mankind. In verse 22 through verse 23, we see that God uh, drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, separated them from the Garden of Eden and from the Tree of Life. And this has been the standing relationship between mankind and between the Tree of Life. Anybody been to the Garden of Eden and eaten of the Tree of, tree of Life lately? Uh, probably not. In the very last book of the Bible, we're going to talk about this next week. Can't wait to get to it. Uh, the very last book of the Bible talks about the tree, this tree of life. And it's Jesus saying, whosoever will may come and eat freely of the tree of life. Uh, can't wait to get to that next week. But for now, we just see this penalty, this penalty of separation from life, separation from everything uh, that is good, this judgment that has led to death of of all of us. God did not intend for Adam and Eve to die. It's part of the curse. It's part of judgment. It's part of wrath. This is why there is death. 
And maybe we get cancer, maybe we're murdered, maybe we die in war, maybe we die of old age. There's all types of reasons why individuals die, but the reason that death exists is because of the judgment of God that has been placed upon all the earth. Can you, and, and this is, it's, it's really, I think it's kind of compassionate. Can you, can you think, can you just imagine if we could live forever and never face an ultimate result for our sin? No ultimate result for doing bad and horrible things to each other? Can you imagine that living forever in a sinful state? God could not allow that to happen. So his judgment said, no, there's going to be death that's going to happen. And you might say, okay, well, so well, that was the first judgment. Has judgment happened since then? Absolutely. Uh, just a few chapters later in Genesis, I believe it's Genesis chapter 6, chapter 5 or chapter, uh, chapter 6, there's, uh, uh, there's, uh, there's the, great, uh, the great flood, um, uh, chapter 7. And uh, the Lord sent a global flood. He wiped out everybody. That was a pretty big judgment. Uh, we see God send plagues upon the Egyptians, 10 of them. Uh, the last one being the worst, the firstborn uh, of the Egyptians being killed. Excuse me. Uh, we also see how God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sexual immorality, destroyed a whole city. By the way, that's where we get the fire and brimstone uh, comments. Um, uh, he wiped out thousands, I would say even hundreds of thousands, maybe even, maybe even million or more Canaanites in the promised land because they were idolaters. He put his people there. They became idolaters. So he sent armies to defeat them and even sent them into, into bondage for 70 years. So we see judgment all throughout the Old Testament. We say, well, do we, do we see God's judgment in the future? Absolutely. Man, have you, have you read the book of Revelation lately? I mean, the book of Revelation is filled with images of judgment and seals and bowls and trumpets of wrath being poured out upon the earth and upon mankind because of sin. Y'all, listen, mankind, I, I don't know any other way to say it, mankind is cursed. This world is cursed. It is a sinking ship. There is no hope. There is no plan for this world in its current state to last. It's all going to be gone. The Bible talks about how it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be wiped away. It says basically everything that we see around us. It is a sinking ship. This world is lost. Death reigns. And it reigns more now than it did even a thousand years ago. In the 20th century, there were over 200 million people killed in war. That is more than any other century before that, and maybe more than a lot of them combined, maybe more than in the history of mankind. 200 million people killed, and that's just war. That, that, that doesn't include all the abortions, all the murders, all the other ways that people die of sickness and disease. I mean, can you, can you, can you just imagine how bad it is? We don't, but we don't, we, for some reason we're, we're, we're blind to that, how it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. How can we be saved from all of this? Oh, no, we need a better government. We need moral reforms, right? 
If we could just have, have good laws. If we could just educate people and show people and teach people. We could just, we just make them religious, right? Help people be religious. Help them be moral. Help them be educated. Help them just to be sweet to each other. Have a good government over us. Certainly, that's a way uh, to, to save us from all this corruption that is around us. There is only one path to deliverance. And we see it right here in Genesis chapter 15, three verse, chapter 3, verse 15. God is not even finished pronouncing judgment yet. Of the very first time, and he already promises that we're going to have a deliverer. This is what we call the first gospel. The first time that you really ever see the gospel, it's like the, uh, the, the seed of the gospel. The original readers, whenever they read this, didn't understand it. But you and I understand it. You and I understand this promise of offspring. God repeated this promise of offspring when he talked about Abraham. And he said, through your offspring, all people will be blessed. Paul in the New Testament said that offspring was Christ. We see the promise of offspring that was given to David in the Davidic covenant. And we know that that offspring foreshadowed Christ. This is foreshadowing the gospel and what God is going to do to save us from the very curse that he's pronouncing upon us in the very first judgment. You say, well, I don't understand. Well, look at it this way. The offspring of Satan is not the next snake that's born. Well, that doesn't make sense, right? Well, Eve, you're going to have a baby, and hey, serpent, you're going to have a little snake, and they're going to squash and fight. Obviously, it has to be more than that. The offspring of, of Satan, the offspring of the serpent, is all of the evil that would be perpetuated by future generations and all of Satan's evil forces that would empower them and all of the people that would be under control of them. And the offspring of the woman would be Jesus, the Son of Man, would be, would be our Savior. And this scripture was ultimately fulfilled whenever a virgin who uh, was conceived of the Holy Spirit gave birth to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so here's what God did. God took all of the punishment that you and I deserve, and he laid it upon Jesus. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But um, we have to ask. We have to ask ourselves. You know, what is God going to do? How is God going to be just with this world now? Because when when we when we look around, we see a world that has all this injustice and all this unrighteousness. It flourishes around us without repercussion. People get away with horrible crimes. Uh, people do evil against God's people and get away with it. Just look at church history and see how Christians were persecuted and killed. And it seemed like they got away with it. The Old Testament prophets lamented this. And they said, God, we don't understand. You're a just God, but how do you look upon all this evil? The New Testament writers all also um, the same way. Revelation chapter 6, you have the voice of the martyrs that arise from underneath the altar. And they say, God, how long? How long before you avenge our blood? 
How long before you take the, how long before you bring justice? Well, God has plans. And here's what God's going to do about it. The final judgment. The final judgment. This is, this is hard for people, I think. Some people want there to be justice right now. Say, why doesn't God bring justice right now? He has a better plan. There's going to be a final judgment upon Satan. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 20. It says that Satan, the devil, that he is going to be, and the Bible calls him that, the Revelation calls him that ancient serpent, referring back to that very first temptation in the garden, that very first curse that we just read. He said he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire, and the false prophet and the beast, there are other evil people mentioned in Revelation, they're going to be there. And the Bible says that they're going to be tormented day and night forever. This word tormented literally means tortured. They are going to be tortured and tormented day and night. It will never stop. It will be happening all the time, and it will last for all eternity. Now, I want you to think about the worst possible punishment, torture, that you think that you could do to a human being who's done something wrong to you. I want you to imagine that someone has sinned against you in the worst way imaginable, and I want you to use your imagination, and I want you to think about the maximum amount of hate and wrath and torture and torment, and, and, and torment that you could possibly dream up and pour out upon that individual. Now I want you to multiply it times infinity. And that is what God has planned for Satan. And that is what he justly deserves. God is not going to be sitting around in eternity feeling sorry for Satan. He's not going to sit around in eternity. We're not going to be experiencing joy in his presence and him saying, you know, I really hate that I had to do that to Satan. And he was once a good little angel. I don't know. Maybe I, sh maybe I should let him out. No, God's going to have no compassion for him. God's going to have no remorse for him. God is going to give Satan exactly what he deserves for what he has done to our great and awesome and wonderful and beautiful world that God made, but all the things that we have done to mess it up. But it won't be just him. It won't be just Satan. There's going to be a final judgment for people. I mean, y'all, I'm not, I'm not happy about this. I'm not excited about this. It gives me no joy to talk about this. But everywhere in Scripture, the Bible points to this final judgment. Revelation calls it a white throne judgment. And it says that the dead are going to be raised. Yeah, that's right, everybody. Everybody, the New Testament says that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus himself talked about the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous. 
And here we see all of these people, great and small, all of the dead. The sea give up their dead. Everyone gives up their dead. And the Bible says that books are going to be opened. What's in those books? Well, if if we're going to be judged according to what's in those books, then it's going to be every sin you ever committed. Every word you ever spoken that was ungodly, every thought that you ever had, every, every, every emotion, every evil desire, every evil thing that has ever happened, anything about you that could be considered sinful is going to be in that book. And so are the good things, I believe. The good things are going to be there also. Do you... Do you really think that whatever little bit of good that might be true about you is, gonna, is, is, is truly going to outweigh all the bad that is also true about you? Because the truth is, all it takes is just one. It just takes one bad thing to completely ruin your life, just like it did Adam and Eve. One mistake. One mistake that they made, and they got judged in the way that they did, and it spread to all of us. And the Bible says that these books are going to be open, and that people are going to be judged, and there's going to be another death for them. As if the death that we have lived in this life, and the pain and suffering that we've had, and all the troubles that we've had, as if that's not going to be enough, That's not even going to be close to being enough. There's going to be a second death. And the Bible says that we're going to be right there with Satan. And we're going to be in the lake of fire right there with him. So, you know, and some people say, well, that's harsh. If you you think that, that's because you, you you don't see the heaviness of your sin. You don't think that your sin really deserves punishment, which is really an insult to Christ, who, who, gave, who gave, his, gave his life. There's going to be no end to this. And it's going to be absolutely eternal. It's never going to stop. And all, listen, all mankind, all mankind is going to face this judgment, this second death, And this lake of fire, except for one group, one group, and that is those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, Jesus did something for us. Jesus, and listen, he knew this punishment was impending. He knew that this was going to be the penalty. God, from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, from the very beginning, when God, uh, when all of this sin happened, God knew that there was going to be this eternal punishment that was going to await Satan, and it was going to await every single human being. And God said, in Genesis chapter 3, 15, and all throughout the Old Testament, and all throughout the New Testament, I'm going to provide a way of escape. I'm going to take the punishment this punishment that every single human being deserves. You deserve this. All of us deserve this. I deserve this. Every single human being deserves this. God said, I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve and I'm going to place that punishment upon Christ who doesn't deserve it because he never sinned. 
And he placed all of that upon Christ. And I believe that that's why when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because of all of the weight of sin. The nails were not the worst part of the cross. The spear, the dying, the bleeding, that was not the worst part of the cross. It was this weight of punishment that you deserve for all of eternity that was placed upon Christ. And if you've, listen, if you've come to know Jesus as Savior, listen, you will never be judged. You will never, ever be judged if you know Jesus as your Savior. You have permanently escaped it. It's gone. It's gone forever. Listen, that's good news. Somebody please say amen. I mean, and and I know know some people don't like this, but the truth is you're going to sin today, you're going to sin tomorrow, you're going to sin next week. You will never be punished. Disciplined maybe. Now that's a sermon for a different day. Disciplined. God, God will discipline you. Don't test him in that. God's discipline upon us can, can be really, really harsh. But you're not going to be punished. You will never, ever, 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 ever escape the lake of fire. Never will you, will, you will permanently escape the, the, the lake of fire. You will never face judgment. And that's why Jesus said, he told his disciples, he said, Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the only escape. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24. He said, if, uh, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. You've passed from death to life. He says, you won't come into judgment. That's what Jesus said. He says, you will not come into judgment. John chapter 8, verse 51 says, you will never see death. Do you think that means that you will never physically die? Or do you, mean, or do you think that that means that Jesus knows that you will never face the second death, the great white throne judgment, the being pitched into the lake of fire? Jesus says, that's never going to happen to you if you know me as Savior. Even John 3, 16, he says, whoever believes in me shall not perish. Jesus is the only escape. There is no other escape. The ship is sinking. This world is doomed. But the good news is, is that Jesus paid your penalty, and he is the only escape. So now that leads to the question, how do I know that I have eternal life? How do I know that I will not face that great white throne judgment? That those books are not going to be opened and I, I, I'm, there's going to be a different book that's going to be used for me. The Lamb's book of life. Because let me tell you what, I don't want to be judged when it comes to my sin. I don't want God to compare my good and my bad. I just want God to open the Lamb's book of life and say, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Come on in. That's, that's, that's what we get when we're in Christ. But how, how do you know? How do you know? Some of you might question. Some of you might say, I'm not sure. There are two certain ways that I, that I, I can tell you that, 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 that you can know. One is what I have asked you to pray about. During a prayer time earlier in the service, I asked you to pray about repentance. Repentance, I've, I've, I describe this all the time as I'm living my life in this direction. I have a change of mind. I have a change of heart. I have a change of position. I turn, and now I'm living a new life in a different way. And I have a passion and a drive 
for the things of God. I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. The, the first and greatest commandment is true about me. Yes, I'm still a sinner. I'm still dragging around that old sinful nature, trying to kick it off of me, and I stumble and fall. But I get back up, and I'm living a life of repentance. I have turned from my sin, and I have a passion and a drive for the things of God. If those two things are not true of you, if you've never, you, and listen, there's people that are walking this broad, wide road to destruction that are very religious, that are very moral, that are very good people, that go to church all the time, that Jesus said, uh, well, Jesus even said, he said, many are going to come to me in that day, that great white throne judgment, say, didn't we drive out demons in your name, and, and we did all this good stuff in your name, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a broad road that leads to destruction that a lot of good people, religious people, a lot of people even with the right beliefs, people who were baptized, people who underwent all types of religious ceremonies, people who might have even prayed and confessed Christ, but it wasn't real. They're still walking the road away from Christ, and their heart is void of a passion for the things of God. If you know Jesus as Savior, you have turned your back on your sin. And though it may hound you and nip at your heels and make you stumble and fall, you are living a different life and you have a drive and a passion and a love for God that can only be explained by the fact that the Holy Spirit has wrought something in your heart. Something has happened inside of you that you could not do on your own. God did it, you turned, and you got saved. That's the evidence. I don't care how religious you are. And listen, don't, you, don't, you, don't, don't go tell somebody they're saved. They have to get that right between them and the Lord. It is too important. There is too much at stake for you to coddle someone down the broad, low road that leads to destruction, that falls into the lake of fire, to coddle them along that road and to comfort yourself with the fact that they went and underwent a religious ceremony a long time ago. Don't coddle people down the road to destruction. If someone doesn't know if they're saved, you say, well, you need to work that out between you and God. And don't let anyone tell you that you're saved. Don't let anyone say, oh, I know that you're saved. No, you've got to know that between you and the Lord. It is something personal. You're not going to go to the great white throne judgment and say, well, they, 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 they told me I was saved. I mean, they told me all I had to do was just repeat a prayer and, and, and get baptized, and, and then everything would be okay. And maybe the Lord would say, did they not tell you about repentance? Did, 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 they, not, did they not tell you about living a new life? Did they not tell you about what it means to love the Lord? Did they not tell you about any of those things? Is that all they told you? Let's offer prayer to God at this time. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to be sure today. If you doubt, that might be a good thing. If you're doubting right now, that might be a good thing. It might be the Holy Spirit it might be the Holy Spirit taking you through a period of doubt so that he can give you assurance. He can give you personal assurance that you know Jesus as Savior. You can't risk it. It's too much at stake. 
You can't just say, well, I hope I make it. People who say, I hope I make it, I hope I have done enough, I hope that I've been good enough, are proving with their mouth, not that they're making a confession of faith that Jesus is Lord, but are proving with their mouth that they are walking the road that leads to destruction. You can talk to the Lord right now. Talk to him right now. Ask him to save you. Repent of your sin. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you. To help me to repent and implant in me a burning, passionate love for you and for the cross and for Jesus. Consume me. You see, when, when Jesus sweeps through your life with peace and joy and love and assurance, then you know. You know that the Spirit of God is there with you. He's present with you. Call on Jesus right now. Ask Him to save you. You spend some time in prayer. If you want to come to the altar, come to the altar, both while we're praying or while we're singing. You talk to Jesus. Ask Him to save you.